0: No two companies are exactly alike. Are you properly rewarding people? Do you know where you are in terms of compensation? Thinking very clearly about where you are in the market, where do you think you're gonna be in three, six months? Building the right structures to be able to scale quickly and, and, and maybe scale down quickly, I think it's important. Do you create something that is scalable or do you create something that only works for the here and
1: now? Hey, Gary, how's it going? Welcome to Hiring on All Cylinders. Hey, Chris, I'm good. How are you? Good. If I would have known we were both musicians, we could have done some kind of jam and wrote a song together on the podcast. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> I can't say that I'm not quite a musician. I always say this is aspirational. This is my aspiration to learn the guitar.
1: <laughs> but it's cool that we both have guitars in the background. Yeah, it wasn't planned. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> um, so, Gary, I'm really excited to you know, speak to you today. I think um, the audience are going to have a blast you know, listening to your, your journey and how you um, advise some of the world's fastest growing companies. I guess to start, it'd be really great to hear a bit about your background, a bit about your journey um, and, and how you got to where you are today, how you made that transition into private equity. Yeah,
0: sure. So um, uh, my undergrad was actually in computer science. I went to Morehouse College in Atlanta. And I always loved technology. I went to engineering high school. I knew that's what I wanted to do. So I got a degree in computer science. And then, you know, probably in my junior year, there was uh, a couple of upperclassmen in in class with me that were going to do this thing called consulting. So I'm a first time college, college uh, attendee. And I knew nothing about what consulting was and I learned from them what that was. And I ended up doing an internship with Deloitte in the summer between my junior and senior year. And then I got hired onto Deloitte and I started Deloitte do- as a systems analyst doing consulting work. And at Deloitte, you would pick the package that you work on. So you could be a Siebel or Oracle or PeopleSoft or SAP at the time. And I literally said, I like people and I like software. So I'm going to work people PeopleSoft. That's, that's how it, that's really how it, you know. How I landed, and as I spent the time working with PeopleSoft and the implementations for for companies all around the world, I started to say, "Well, wow, I can do PeopleSoft HR and payroll and all those things. I can also do HR service delivery model consulting." And I started to expand my skill set um, and start working at doing that, and now I'm doing HR strategy consulting. And so, really, on the on the course of my journey and my career history, I did consulting for about half my career, starting at Deloitte, going on to bug consultants, I did work as a workday consultant, and then the other half was probably spent in corporate America doing everything from being an HRIS manager to leading recruiting, recruiting operations at Xerox, uh, their, their outsourcing business. I did OD work, organization development and leadership planning and decision planning and countrywide. So I did a lot of different things, which landed me. Uh, in the role where I was the VP of HR Solutions at Mitel. And Mytel was uh, had an investor or was owned by a private equity firm called Francisco Partners. So through that relationship, um, over the time I was there, I was doing initiatives with the operating team over at Francisco Partners and got to know them. So presentations on on technology and all these things. And, um, you know, we connected uh, with, I connected one the uh, HR partners operating partners. And basically he said, Hey, you know, how would you like to do what you're doing at this company for a lot of different companies in private equity? I, I said, Oh, well, that sounds really interesting. <laughs> never never thought about it. Never didn't know much about private equity. Uh, so I decided to take the leap about four and a half years ago. And I've been in this space ever since. And that, that's really the short version of how I got to private
1: equity. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think we're we've seen um, over the last several years that you know, private equity, venture capital, are using that function, that expertise to kind of separate them and differentiate them you know, when they're looking to bring on investments that provide you know that leadership and that advice to their portfolio companies. Um, I guess from your standpoint, um, was going into private equity what you imagined? I know you mentioned you said that you took a leap. Um, did you kind of take a blind leap? Did you really know what you were getting into? Did it meet your expectations? Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, being in consulting, I had this natural desire and ability to learn a lot of different things, work with a lot of different companies, um, have that are days that are different every day. So that was a natural fit and going into private equity served that need. So it was really a good fit for me. Um, and I think it's exactly where I should be. I did not plan to be in private equity, had no thoughts about it in the past and really didn't know much about the industry at all. And um, and just taking a step back, started really describing my role and sort of how I fit in private equity and why it matches my background. So we essentially, I work for a operating team called Prestige Partners Consulting, and we're dedicated to the Prestesco Partners portfolio of companies. And really, we serve two functions. One is we do diligence on companies. So we're helping investors look at companies from a talent lens. So what does a talent look like at the executive level? What are some of the operational elements of the talent function or the HR function? How well is it functioning? You know, how are employees in this particular deal in terms of the culture and what is a match for the overall thesis and the plan for the company. So taking all those things together, we provide that feedback into investment teams so they can make their determinations for how they should invest or what risks they're taking. And then on the other side of the house, once the company is in the portfolio, which you mentioned, you know, we do quite a bit of work around working with executive teams on any range of talent initiatives. That could be executive placements and recruiting to advising on HRIS and operations. Um, I focus primarily on org effectiveness and HR operations, but we have a team that we work with that do a variety of things that we really work with the portfolio companies to create value uh, for those companies and help them to be successful. So, you know, for me, it was a perfect combination of all my background and skill sets and also a great opportunity to do something dynamic and different and allow you to try different skills and grow as a person. So it was it's a perfect match in my
1: in my book. That's awesome.
0: It's a good decision.
1: So you do the kind of due diligence part, support Francisco partners on that side. And then once the the deal is done and the investments be made, you support and help grow the portfolio companies through various different kind of HR and human capital activities, I guess from doing that for so many companies and having that variety of scope, you must see lots of different challenges, lots of different things that go well, that don't go well. From your point of view, what's the most common challenge that companies are facing, you know, when you're, um, working with them, is there something that kind of sticks out to you or a few things that, that stick out?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think. Any company coming into or either going from public to private or if you're carving out of a, we do quite a bit of carve outs where we take a division of a business and pull it out of a larger company and we create larger uh, and create a standalone company. Uh, all of those companies are experiencing a tremendous amount of change, whether it's changing leadership or whether it's changing uh, how they operate or change from being a really large company to being a very small company. All those things are big change elements. I think one of the big challenges that companies, that I always see companies face, is how do we get employees and teammates through that change? So how do we help them understand that, you know, although this is different, there's going to be a great opportunity for you in this this company going forward. So making sure that the message is right, um, make sure you're answering Questions from employees, making sure you're you have the story right for how you recruit people. How do you properly incentivize people for compensation and rewards? All those things in terms of the change and how that those implications affect retention and recruiting and culture are really a lot of the, the big challenges is deal, you're kind of dealing with and helping to align leadership teams around those those goals and aligning leadership teams toward the strategy and helping to build it that through the organization. That's those are really some of the bigger issues that I see. I mean, there are lots of other things. I mean, you're right. You know, we have companies you know, that are very small and we have companies that are pretty large. So they all have a different set of issues. Some of them are global, some of them are US only. Some of them are only based in Europe. So they all come with a, a, varied, a varying set of issues. And they're also in different industries, although they're all technology companies. They're in different industries as well, which also has its own uh, unique Uh, challenges in dealing with in in dealing with companies and
1: dealing with employees. Talentful provides flexible recruiting solutions to the world's most ambitious companies. Are you thinking about ways to add flexibility to your talent function? With recent market volatility and hiring set to return to growth mode in the near future, there's never been a better time to choose the right partner to help you scale. Talentful's embedded sourcing, recruiting, coordination, and talent advisory services have been trusted by the world's leading brands. Companies such as Atlassian, Microsoft, Expedia, Pinterest, Waymo, and more. Whether you're hiring across engineering, go-to-market, or G&A, Talentful has got you covered. To find out how Talentful can help you, visit talentful.com. When you're working with these companies, are those challenges like very obvious or do they require, you know, quite a lot of digging and, you know, going and speaking to people and really getting under the head of the business? Like, How do you, how do you go about understanding what those challenges are?
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's there are some challenges that are obvious and there are certain things that, you know, if I'm going to carve out a division out of a company, I've probably done, I don't know, 13, 14 different carve-outs <laughs> over the last four years. And so there are certain things you know that if you're doing, going to do that type of work, there are going to be challenges that are there. But my view is you always have to go into it assuming that you don't know what the challenge is going to be because you really need to dig in and really understand, not just from the outside, but really spend time with leaders and with employees and with groups of people to really understand what may be happening in that specific company because no two companies are exactly alike, they have similarities, but they all have they all have their unique cultures, they have their unique ways of approaching things and the way people work and connected. You know, are they remote Are they on site? Are they, you know, uh, in terms of like, are they growth or are they sort of being more, you know, efficient operational improvement play? So I think you have to really go in and look at it from the lens of understanding what the strategy is of the company and then understanding that specific company talking to leaders, talking to employees, you're really getting a sense of what's really going on to get the right
1: picture. I'm really interested at the angle of, you know, when you're doing due diligence for the, for the business, um, that maybe maybe looking to take on investment, because I think sometimes those operational functions, you know, HR leaders, recruiting leaders, they can be so kind of involved and in the weeds of just trying to get the jobs done, helping teams grow, you know. Helping sort out issues on a reactive basis, um, that they're maybe less concerned with how we generate in value, how are we increasing the the value of this business, and, and putting it in the best position to either raise money, Joe exit, or you know, generate the best returns. And I think that you know most likely HR can have a big influence on some of those drivers and some of those levers. When you're looking at a business, um, or let's say, you know, I was to come to you and, and, you know, we were one of the businesses you were looking at, um, in the due diligence process. What are the things that you really look for in, in, in an investable company in regards to their human capital kind of setup and organization? Are there things that, um, have really impressed you or things that, you know, stand out? things that that would identify this is a great company is being run really well?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I think, you know, whether it's investable or not, I guess that's not necessarily the outcome my work is doing per se, right? That is, you know, put the deal teams in, and this is throughout private equity, that's probably really the deal teams to decide, investment teams. But what I'm really trying to produce just, this is a picture of where the company is. So. So there are some companies who have great cultures, they're thriving, and really what you're trying to do is sustain that and push that forward and add to it. There are some companies that have, you know, very difficult cultures that's very hard to work in. The employees have been through a significant amount of change, or maybe there are things that have gone awry uh, in the past and you're trying to address those things. So it's really giving them a lens, you know, into what those companies are like. It's more information than it is Hey, this company is this way, so don't invest. Or this company is that way, so you know, do invest. It's more so uh, uh, this is information to so inform what you're going to have to do to create value or to actually uh, grow this company. So I think you know a lot of things we're looking at. You know, I would say just from a just a, from a practitioner standpoint, you know, outside of sort of Francisco partners in general, I think what we'd be looking at is you know how does the leadership team alignment. Right. I think you know anybody in this space um, when I talked to other PE talent leaders and talk about sort of what they do and this is kind of common across the space where you're looking at well what is the alignment of leadership team are they working well together um, you know are you looking if you're in a room of people and you know one person's doing all the talking this you know or is it multiple people that are you know that kind of own the areas and they really understand how the company works and they can uh, deliver in their function um, other things you're looking at is like what does it take operationally for hr that like is the function itself working well Do they have the right systems in place do they have their you know is it a, is it a bunch of manual processes like a work you're going to have to invest to build up processes um are there you know duplications of efforts happening all across the organizations are people aligned in the function itself uh, i think those sorts of things you are looking at the employee population are they are they happy to be there? Are they engaged? So look at an engagement survey results. Are um, turnover numbers, you know, do you see a, you know, a spike in attrition? You see high attrition numbers specifically for the company. So those are some of the factors and things you wanna look at um, just as a professional in those areas. I think every team and every um, investor approaches that differently as to what they do with that information. You know, because some may say, hey, you know, that's these are great things to know, and these are what I need to know to invest in, or some would say, oh, this doesn't work for me. Um, But I don't think that that is a criteria from our standpoint in terms of like we're not determining the investment, we are really giving information for the investor to determine based on their criteria.
1: It's really interesting. So, I mean, some of those things might seem like at a high level, like quite. obvious, but I don't think they actually are because of what I mentioned you know, when, <laughs> when you in such a high growth company, dealing with so many things coming at you as an HR leader, um, they're sometimes getting, kind of taking a step back and, and looking at those, um, like key criteria. So I think from, from what you just said, you know, leadership alignment, that, that leadership alignment is really key. Um, then automation of process. So, you know, um, that's also key. So the right systems, the tools that you're not just doing everything manually, all your data is collected properly and in the right place. Um, then you've got the culture piece and engagement. Are you looking at stuff like, does stuff like Glassdoor even come into the picture? for you? Do you, do you take any, it, does that last?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we do. I think it's like, it's like when you go to a restaurant, right? you look at, you know, reviews and you're, you're like, you know, maybe it doesn't tell me everything about the restaurant, but if I consistently see, if I see, you know, a thousand reviews and 300 of them are saying the food is bad, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I really won't go there. Right? Um, it's the same thing about Glassdoor. I think people have their, their own varying opinions about it. But again, I think it's a data point that you can use for, you know, Understanding what might be some of the issues that are in a a company or where to drill down into or what might be some things going on. That doesn't necessarily mean fast or 100% accurate all the time, but I think you can see trends. I think you can see, you can use it for, you know, just data gathering and, and guiding maybe some of the questions you might have about a company or guiding maybe what the perception is out in the market that may help that company Figure out well. How do we need to change that perception? Even if it's not true, or if it is true, well, we need to change something if it's uh, negative. And also, the, the, not just the negative, but there are also positive things that people say on over Right? It's you know, it's a great place to work. It's you know, it's fun. It's exciting. And you take those things and you also understand about a company what you don't want to chill. You know, you don't want to chill the culture when you're going through changes. You want to um, support. You know, some of the things that maybe motivating people to work at a particular company, you know, because people are a very important part of the business, so you want them to be motivated. So you can also use it as a data point to figure out, well, what is motivating people about this particular company and how do we support that so that that can continue to success for the company? So I think it's, you know, again, it's another data point, you know, is at the end all be all, um, especially when you're talking about companies outside the U.S., but it's, it's definitely something that's useful in my in my opinion. Yeah yeah the,
1: the the restaurant review analogy is a great one actually <laughs> you you definitely give a few bad reviews but yeah it's the overwhelming <laughs> sentiment is negative you've yeah got you yeah. it
0: <laughs> yeah no my wife always she's she's a stickler for reviews and she's always like. Yeah, like if, if I go if I if we go to a place and it a, a bad review, I'm like, oh, let's give them a chance. She's like, oh, see, that's told you, see, it was going to be bad. Yeah, that's what the review said. <laughs> <laughs> um, you,
1: your wife sounds like a tough customer. You, uh... <laughs> um, yeah, she is. <laughs> um, so and then the final one was retention. Um, and I guess again, all of this stuff, you know, um. Is going to be on a case by case basis, but but are there particular strategies that you think really help the company's retention, or um, you know anything that you see that yeah it is more universal across different companies that you think okay this works it, typically?
0: Yeah, I mean I think retention is a big one. I think that leadership alignment and direction and and vision planning and showing people why, where the company is going, why they're here, what is their contribution to the overall uh, company. I think taking the vision, the strategy and making that and taking it down to the level where employees can feel like I'm oh, a part of this, it makes sense what I do, and I'm connected to larger vision in some way, shape or form, I think it's important for retention. There's the obvious things such as, are you properly rewarding people? Do you know where you are in terms of compensation in terms of the market where you are? Is you know, are your competitors where people are going when they're leaving you, are they paying more? Are they you know, and if that's the case, do you need to adjust? Maybe you don't, maybe you do. That's a decision you need to make as to where you're trying to compete on tablet. I think again that um that the culture piece is important. But also people, you know, people always think you're gonna leave company, they leave managers. And I I think one of these I've seen people do well in terms of companies is train managers. Um, so there are lots of managers in companies who don't have quite as much experience. Maybe they were promoted because they were an exceptional performer, but they don't really have management skills. So being able to teach people how to properly manage others' employees, how to do a one-on-one, one-on-one, how to have a team meeting. You know, what are the things that you need to coach people on in terms of developing skills, how to give feedback uh, properly—those sorts of things—I believe create environments where retention can be supported. Um, so, I think it's again, it's like you said, every company is different on those angles, but you need to figure out, well, you know, what is it, you know? And if people are leaving and you are not having retention issues, you depend on why. I mean, I think that's where doing culture surveys, doing exit interviews, doing you know, understand, and they call them what, stay interviews, I think it is, where you're understanding people, you know, understanding their critical talent and like, what is it that makes them stay? What is it that will make them stay? Uh, being proactive in those areas, knowing all that data and information and just informs you on what it is for you that will create retention. But, you know, I think the things that I mentioned are some of the why's that I would say that probably work in any scenario.
1: And do you have like a, a benchmark of what you consider to be like good retention? Um Like whether it's like you know 80%, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think we, we benchmark across the portfolio. So
0: we do metrics across the portfolio that we use to benchmark. So we use that as a benchmark in ourselves. Um, but we also have external benchmarks that we use um, you know, from other sources that we say, okay, well, the this particular survey shows that retention is here. Um, so, there are all sorts of sources, you know, comp surveys and things like that, uh, comp providers who actually provide retention um, information as well. So, we use those as benchmarks also to maybe look at them by country, I look at them by industry. It really, again, it's just a guide to say, okay, well, if this survey says this retention, a good retention is 10% and you're at Twenty five percent, then okay. Well, we probably have a problem. Um, you know that you're really not even you know on par with what the market is saying, and then there's probably some issues there. Um, and then you know there are factors that happen, macro events that happen, like COVID or recessions or you know or you know the Great Awakening or Resignation or whatever we call it, whatever we call it nowadays. Um, all those factors also sort of. Put pressure on uh, what retention should be, and you have to kind of adjust and figure out. Well, given those macro dynamics that are going on, is you know is what we're doing in alignment with all those things. So I think it's you know
1: I, I would say multiple sources,
0: but yes, we do use it, uh, we do benchmark it, and we do look
1: at it um, against those benchmarks. Awesome, ben. A nice segue really into you know where we are now, and I think the world is going through a really. You know, interesting couple of years from, you know, COVID and this very sharp, you know, V-shaped kind of recession, um, to this period of just incredible demand um, and growth. Um, and then now going into a period of, you know, some economic uncertainty. And I guess for companies and the HR leaders, they're maybe um, thinking about how to set themselves and their companies up for success from an HR standpoint. Um, is there anything that you're doing to advise you know your companies or advice that you would give more generally to to human capital leaders going through this this period of time and, and what are the, some of the important things that they can do?
0: Yeah, I mean I think it it goes back to that point around retention. I mean, I think um some of those same factors you have to understand what's happening in the macro environment. So if we know inflation is putting pressures on compensation, do you need to go and take a look and see where your compensation is and do you need to make adjustments? Perhaps you do, perhaps you don't. It, it depends. Um, do you need to look at your overall cost envelope for the company? That's something that we just have to look at and see, okay, based on where the market is going, how are we faring in those those markets, from a you know revenue and EBITDA standpoint, so I had to kind of make decisions based off of those factors as well. I think we you know always coach companies to be thinking about those things proactively and not reactively. Um, you know, I think you have to always understand where your critical talent is, um, and I think this is a really important factor. You need to understand. So, where are the people that are if they left your company? Um, will create great harm and doing that proactively and building out you know the right retention strategies you know for those individuals specifically on top of what you're trying to do for the company retention wise you know for you know creating the right environment I think being smart about those things are also pretty important because there are lots of people in chance you know when you're thinking about the strategy and where you're trying to go. If you don't understand the people that are going to contribute to getting you to that point, you're just going to be in a world of hurt because it's just you may uh, while you're thinking maybe this person over here is the real uh, contributor, maybe the person he's over here is it, but you got to sit down and really understand that and, and map it to what your strategy is. So I think having people be more proactive, thinking very clearly about where you are in the market, where do you think you're going to be, you know, in three, six months, like thinking about where things are happening. Nobody can, you crystal know, it's Christopher like it can predict, predict the future, but you have to be thinking ahead and planning accordingly and figuring out what that means for you
1: from a talent perspective. And I think that's what we advise companies to do. Yeah, it's really interesting. I guess one of the things that a lot of the leaders that I'm speaking to are trying to balance is, you know, during COVID, um, a lot of companies made decisions, um, you know, to maybe downsize teams or to to, um, to maybe um, stop using certain vendors or tools and technologies, um, with the idea that it wouldn't be, you know, V-shaped um, recovery. Um, and and a lot of the, the leaders that I speak to were kind of concerned about maybe making some of those decisions. Um, and then be caught on the back foot again. Because I think over the last 12 to 18 months, a lot of the, those kind of decisions have meant that people have been playing catch up for the last, you know, 12 months and don't want to do that again. Are there things that the leaders can do that to avoid that? Um, or is it because, like you said, no one has a crystal ball, you're just going to do the best that you can with the, the data that you have at the time. Or do you think there's things that they can do to set themselves up to not? make that same mistake, but not be left on the back foot.
0: Yeah, that's a tough one, because I think um, it's probably more a beginning you don't know, have that crystal ball. I think most people would love to be able to say, hey, I know where the market's gonna go in through the six, <laughs> three to six months, so I, yeah, I can, you know, hire, hire up accordingly or skill accordingly. I think um, the one thing that people can do is make sure, they're creating pipelines of talent, So, you know, while you may not be recruiting right now, are you building pipelines for if you do need to recruit um, or you do need to wrap up recruiting or do you have the right people in place today to do that for you or do you have a model in your HR function that is, ex- you know, expandable? Can you scale up and scale down easily? So I think building the right structures to be able to scale quickly and, and, and maybe scale down quickly i think is important so having some that base infrastructure in place from an hr function or recruiting standpoint i think it's important like and this could be for some companies they decide hey instead of having three recruiters they might have two recruiter plus one external recruiter right and then having that in place so that you know i can kind of scale up and down with that external recruiter based off of the needs uh but at the same time we can maintain our presence in the marketplace we can be talking to passive candidates. We could be talking to people and keeping relationships going so that our pipeline is strong and creating, you know, even diverse pipelines and making sure that you're you're doing that as well so that you're not caught at the place where, oh, I turned all the engines off and I got to turn them all back on from a hiring perspective, you know, specifically. I think that could be this, you know, I think that could be the same approach. A unique part of the business is like, do you create something that is scalable or do you create something that only works? For the here and now, and you know, it takes sure you a lot of time to build back up to get to where you need to go. I just, I just, so I think overall, what I'm saying is you need flexibility, yeah. you need the ability to flex and you need to be able to grow because I don't think anybody um, knows for sure what's going to happen. But you need to be able to be agile enough to both get the work you need to get done today, but also be able to quickly scale as you need to going forward. And I said, and that's easy for us to say, right? We're in the technology space, right? A lot of technology companies. That's a lot easier than maybe some manufacturing company or someone who's like, you know, having a lot of large equipment or something, they need to get going and you got to really make long term decisions. So it's probably easier in my space working with technology companies than it would be in
1: some other spaces. But that that would be my advice advice to companies. And to finish things off, Gary, it's a question I ask everyone, but would be really interested in your insight is what are you most excited about um, regarding the, the future of human capital?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's been interesting to see the progression of human capital over the last you know, 15, 20 years. Uh, being a technology person at heart and a core, I really like how the application of technology has really, uh, really changed the dynamics that are happening in human capital. You know, I think we're doing a lot more things with AI. We're doing a lot more things with data um, and we're producing a lot more data. And I think. What's going to be interesting going forward is what we do with that data and how we use data to make more predictive decisions about uh, employee movement or potential resignations or potential, um, you know, needs that employees might have. Or can we, can, we, can we see sentiment? And I think some of this happened today with some vendors uh, building that or have already built some of that stuff like sentiment analysis and things like that. But I think just the application of technology to evolve the space excites me. Um, in particular, and, and then I think the other thing I would think about is like creating different pipelines for talent. So I know companies are considering and playing with things like, do I need a bachelor's degree for this particular role? Like, does that open up new pathways for other people? Um, when you know, for this particular role, does it require a bachelor's degree? Maybe it requires a certain certification or a skill set that needs to be developed. I think that just opens up opportunities for people, and I think. The more we can explore ways of bringing in different kinds of talent from different backgrounds and perspectives, and not just one way, I think the better off we'll be as a as an industry, and just create more opportunities for other people. So those those are two things I think that really excite me about HR and and where we're going. I think where
1: it's going to evolve in the future. Absolutely, it's going to be very exciting to see where we are in five years' time. And uh... (laughs) absolutely. It's like are we gonna work from home or are we gonna
0: be working in LSA? I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a big debate, right? It's you know, so uh, that's that's also an interesting evolution. Like the way work is gonna get done is, is already changed, right? It's uh, so it's it's interesting it's gonna be interesting to see what happens in the future with how we're delivering work and how we're working together, um, whether in
1: person or remotely or whether it's a mix or hybrid. I, I don't know if anybody really knows. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. I don't think anyone really knows. I and mean, that's it. We're all trying to figure this out the best we can. <laughs> um, but, that's right. That's right. <laughs> thanks a lot for your time. I really appreciate you taking the time out. I've learned a lot and I'm sure everyone else will too. Um, so see you soon. Thanks, thanks Tris. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It was fun.